0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us on As Per Usual, a podcast for practical patient engagement. Um, Today, we have two great guests who are going to share lots about training in patient engagement. Now, according to our participants in our study, when it comes to learning about patient engagement, a lot of folks learn just by doing it. And there are a few opportunities to learn about it before one has a career So how do we help researchers and patient partners to reach their full potential in their engagements?
1: Well Bryn, as you said, I'm sure that today's guests will have a lot to say about this. But, if you're asking me, which you are, um, here are some of our study participants' ideas about how to create a future state in which academic researchers and patient partners have access to the content knowledge they require to reach their full potential. Key mechanisms include... The development of centralized and universally acceptable um, information repositories, so websites or portals, that basically serve as a one-stop shop for all of your patient engagement training, tool, and education needs. These centralized repositories will help address the commonly reported issue of poor indexing of patient engagement educational materials, they'll also reduce redundancies, and support uptake of high quality information. Another key mechanism involves integration of education about patient engagement approaches into university curricula, as well as widespread opportunities for patient partners to sit on graduate committees and to interact with trainees in general. In fact, my colleague Annette Schultz and I, along with six patient partners, who were Roger Stoddard, Delane Linkiewicz, Leslie Norris Singer, Kurt Schreiner, Kathy Smith, and Brenda Andreas actually co-developed and co-taught a graduate level course on approaches to patient engagement and research this past winter. We'll maybe share our experiences with that next season of this podcast, but definitely a key take home message from our experiences with the course was the synergistic learning opportunities that arose from students having the opportunity to learn about patient engagement through readings, as well as actually getting to regularly interact with patient partners. So to tie everything together, the big picture idea for today is that by creating a state in which academic researchers and patient partners have access to the content knowledge they need to reach their full partnering potential, we'll not only collectively improve our patient engagement practices, but we'll also help foster an academic culture in which all viewpoints are valued and patient engagement in research is standard practice. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce our two guests today. Yvonne Pelling is the Patient and Community Engagement Lead, and Annie LeBlanc is the Director of Passerelle, which is also known as the Strategy for Patient-Oriented Researches, or as commonly um, stated, SPORs National Training Entity. Yvonne, Annie, could you please introduce yourselves to the listeners, including telling us a bit about your patient engagement work?
2: Hi everybody, my name is Yvonne Pelling and I am a caregiver and advocate in patient-oriented research. I actually started in this work at um, the network through Access Open Mind, which was a a youth-oriented Project looking at service design and policy within youth mental health. And I was a a caregiver council member. And I got really involved and um, started to get uh, really excited about the process of research that I kind of worked my way through the council. And and by a few years later, I was running the council. Um, That got me so excited that I went back to school. (laughs) So, So This is where um, I went and I went back to school to do a master's in education um, because I became really interested in the process of engagement. So what I see in engagement is a lot of the what is engagement and I see a lot of the why of engagement, but not so much of the how of engagement. So this is where I met Annie and um, I'll just pass it over to you.
3: Hi, thank you Yvonne. Hi everybody, my name is Annie Leblanc. I'm from um, Quebec City, hence that big uh, accent. So hopefully um, this discussion goes well. Um, How, that's a really good question. How did I came to to do this type of work and to do patient engagement research? Um, Many do not know this, but um, I'm actually a high school teacher. I started in um uh while I was doing my degree in education. Um I became a, I became a caregiver, uh working through my uh my dad's cancer and um you know I'm not to give away my age, but that was before internet and, and before support and it really came care. It was really difficult to um have in, the right information at the right time and you know and and be engaged in the care and be engaged in understanding what was happening and that kind of changed the view of what I was doing and how I was doing things, which kind of led me to to go and and, and train and from you know and, and trying to think what we could do in terms of patient education and helping and um I decided to to take time off from teaching to to further that uh, that road and it was really from from there well it's it's history i i got further engaged in patient educations in trying to give patient voices in in the context of of care and from there i went on to to do a master's and in, in phd in clinical epidemiology to Find ways to bring the the best evidence and the best data that patients actually needed, not what, the, not necessarily what the healthcare system thought was important. And that's how I I came to uh, to working uh, with and for uh, patients and caregivers um, and uh, the healthcare setting to to try and, and change that. So. Uh, years later, uh, here I am having worked in both the United States with the in the United States, which is kind of the patientcenter.com um and institution, really trying to see how we can best support uh, not only our patients but their loved ones in the communities throughout our uh, our research and our work. So it's been an interesting journey uh, across different uh, organizations and institutions to to move that work forward. So.
1: Here it is. Thank you both for coming on, and it's always so fascinating to hear about the different roads that people take and where they take us, but something that seems to be common to both of you, and I know it is, is your passion for patient engagement. So this is going to be a great conversation, I can just tell. So on that said, Yvonne, maybe you could start us off um, by sharing some more with us about your patient engagement work and what the concept of training and education in patient engagement And
2: research means to you? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, So, patient engagement and research um, is really exciting to me because for me, research is this vast landscape. And it really has, we really have the opportunity as people to all be included. You know, When I first started on a council, I didn't really understand what it was that I was getting involved in. I didn't understand what my place was in there. But through going through the process over and over again, um, what I realized is that not only do we have place for patient partners, we have places for community members, we have places for researchers and for students. And if I've said this once, I've probably said it a million times, the best thing about patient-oriented research is the people And we want everybody to really be in there, or at least I want everybody in there to be expressing who they are. And that, for me, really is the the foundational thing about patient engagement. Um, We might have certain values that come out um, that we all see as important, but how we express those values as individuals is really key to patient engagement. Uh, I'll, I'll pass it over to you. Um,
3: thank you, Yvonne. Um, it, it's it's so important what you just mentioned in, in, in terms of, of of values and in terms of the, of the people that makes a difference. And as we were talking, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> alone we can go fast, together we can go far. Um, but I think that together we truly make that difference. Uh, in terms of how we see things, and um, we talk a lot about uh, patient engagement, but I think it's larger than making sure that we can um, we we can bring those voices forward. I think we need to change the way other things also in terms of uh, doing research, doing care. So, in talking about patient engagement, for me, it's it's also about how everyone. Uh, kind of take a step back and this is what Yvonne has taught me is that how do we just take a step back and pause and think about why, what, what am I doing and why am I doing this, you know, and this, this notion of uh, self-awareness through the work that we're doing and recognizing why we're doing this. And I don't know if you want to add something about it, Yvonne, because this is really, you know, how you contributed to my thinking about training and about what we need to accomplish and how we can accomplish this type of, of, of work. Because in, in thinking about this, um, you know, this, Self-based online module about what is patient engagement is not going to make a difference. Um, so, so I think it's interesting to think through how we also change the way that that we learn and that we experience research as a group to move forward patient engagement. I don't know if you want to add to this.
2: Um, so, for me, also the, around the training and the sort of capacity building of patient engagement. What that really comes down to is what Annie's talking about, that sort of experience. Um, Yes, we have modules that can give content, but I think we really need to reframe education at this point, where it's not just about knowledge acquisition or knowledge transfer, which is really sort of how we've honestly all been socialized to like intake education, but to really provide experiential learning opportunities. So for me, you know, these are things where people actually get to feel what best practices are, and they get the opportunity to embody the value of lived experience. Um, So, you know, like this is, it's more towards things like uh, building capacity in collaborative and co-design mindset. For me, even creativity would be a key role in all of this. But underlying all these things and, you know, going back to what Annie says here about self awareness is, is the most important thing here. Because if we don't understand who we are, it's really hard to translate your lived experience because then I only understand it in the context of my own self. I don't understand it in the context of the larger picture. And when we embed lived or uh, uh, when we embed self awareness into our practices, I think what we get is um, more accountable spaces. So I know that we've spent a lot of time, or at least in circles that I've been in, looking at safe spaces, which is also important, but accountable spaces do something more for us. They actually embed the humanness of research and the humanness of who we are. Uh, Accountable spaces include disappointment and, and, um, you know, uh, hurt feelings uh, but what they also do is create a space for not for people to be called out but for people to call themselves out and actually you know I, I would say that working with Annie I find that this is something that we do in our team and it, it is quite refreshing um, she often you know if she makes a mistake she says sorry and it just it gives me the opportunity to also make mistakes and say sorry and I think that that that's about that sort of healthy relationships and and connecting with people
0: one of the things that i i think what i'm hearing is that the training isn't isn't so much about what i think we've been conditioned or you know trained to to look at in terms of modules and textbooks and a curriculum and this sort of very strict pedagogy of of how to be how to facilitate patient engagement how to be a patient partner but it sounds like it's and I don't like using this term but for lack of better terms a soft skills it's the skills that are um that aren't necessarily as conducive to a webinar an out you know for an hour that one can go on and learn a skill and ta-da, you're, you're a patient partner or you're a researcher that suddenly knows how to engage and i guess i was wondering can you comment a bit more on you know how like is it is it experiential learning that really shapes that and are you building that into the work that you're doing to encourage
2: more of those relationship center relationship based skills so for me for sure it's experiential learning opportunities um i would love to have a capacity building um, sessions where we're really looking at you know fundamental principles of you know infinite possibility and interrelatedness Perpetual change, where we're really diving deep into things like collaborative and co-design mindsets and creativity, where people actually get the opportunity to live out patient engagement. It's Patient engagement isn't something that we can just talk about. It's something that we live. It's, it's a life experience. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not just something you read in the paper. Yeah, I mean,
3: we can, you know, we can try to, we can read about uh, the feeling to, to be in a roller coaster. We can try to describe what it means to be at a telescope concert. We can try to see, you know, the how it makes us feel when we walk on the beach. But until you've experienced it, until you, you've been there and that you've been fully emerged, um, then you realize kind of what what we were really saying. And, you know, Yvonne and I often talk about this, is that, you know, I, I was making comment about not having information when my dad was sick. Um, because, you know, not long ago, <laughs> at least for me, um, you didn't have an information at the top of your fingers, you know. So, so we've designed learning in terms of sharing information and, and about acquiring information because that was needed because we didn't have anything else. So it was about all taking in, and then if you were lucky, you could actually experience it and try to transform that information into skill and then into competencies. And years later, with with all of that information available, we haven't thought about how to transform it. And we still kind of promote that way, that, that way of thinking and of learning. But information is important. But this is not how we're going to change it. And we've seen it in, you know, in, in, in medical education, in any other field, that training along doesn't change behavior, doesn't change action, doesn't change the way that we do things. So I think it's the same way. For, for us, so um, if we wanna truly build capacity, and I often talk about capacity rather than training, because I think that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for people to be able to engage in that work, to co-create, to you know make a difference all together. So to build that capacity, yes, we need to know and to have some information and to understand where does that come from and why do we need to, uh, to move into that direction? So the what and the why, is important, but then how do you move to the how? And that's what Yvonne was saying earlier. And moving to the how is difficult. It's difficult because within that capacity framework, um, we need to expand that to think, okay, what are the infrastructure that we have in place that will support that, that will support patients coming together, that will support research team to move in that field. So we also need to, to think, In terms of what, what are there? What is it? Do we have physical space? Do we have uh, opportunities to bring people together in those infrastructure? So how do we connect? How do we network? How do we bring the right people at the right place at the right time for the right learning? Because again, when you're most often when you're taking those training in those courses, it's when your group no, it's with your peers. Sometimes it is with different people, but again, you're not you're not sharing those difference of ideas. You're not having that oh, haha moment. I didn't think about that. I'm so grateful that you've brought in this point of view. So how do you create that space to engage with it? How do you provide the right mentorship to help and guide and facilitate those discussions? Because you know we've all experienced it. It's difficult. It can be, you know, it, it can be quite challenging at first, both from a patient perspective, but also from a, a clinician, from a researcher, from a training perspective to kind of be confronted to all of those different views and opinion and how you bring all of this together. So how do you also think about that mentorship and about um, that support that we can provide? So we've been, you know, we've been really trying to to think through as we want to further... Uh, help with patient engagement and see how we move forward with the science of patient-oriented research, really to think beyond that notion of of training in courses and think through in our environment, how do we build, and Yvonne said it at the beginning, how do we build those relationships, how do we make sure that we all come together, that we have the space, the environment, the financial support, whether we like it or not, it's, you know, uh, we do need resources as well to move projects forward to move collaborations to help uh with um with, with patient compensations with different kind of training with those environment i mean nothing come unfortunately <laughs> I wish nothing come free but we also need to think through that and it was actually one uh, one fellow um Emrine Serena that um when we were talking about her about you not know, training opportunities, and it's like, "What do you see next for trainees?" And she says, "Well, if you do give us fellowship and and dollars, it's it's nice, but it doesn't mean that we know what to do with it." Um. So you know, so so it it can actually become uh, unsettling to see. Okay, I need to do this by myself. Um. So again, so it it's really this multifaceted approach where, uh, not one thing is the, is the right answer.
1: I love what you have both shared because it's so eloquently verbalized, something that I've tried to share, but more importantly, I felt, and I tell anyone that I talk to about patient engagement in research and patient-oriented research, one of my very many favorite things about it is that it has actually changed who I am as a person. And the way that you both speak at it, it's clicked for me. It's because it's gotten inside of me and changed me, not to be corny, but in my heart and also in my approach to how I approach research and how I do things and now it's clicked in the first place that we should perhaps all start together when we're helping. Yes, there's the to do's, yes, it's important to understand the processes, but those will not result in meaningful patient engagement until that ability to have empathy, that ability to hold space for others, that ability to not think that, well, I know everything, so I guess I'll ask you, but I do know the answer, so could you hurry it up because I have another question to ask you that I know the answer to. So before you move past that mindset, it won't be meaningful. So the perfect starting point actually is the space where you work together, you interact, you learn how to listen, and you just learn how to be that person that can truly work with others by listening to others and collaboratively trying to find solutions. So that was so beautiful. It uh, touched me, so thanks guys. So I'm wondering kind of moving off of that, um, how do you think we can convince academia that this is really kind of the next step or the way to approach training in engagement?
2: So, convinced, I'm not sure you can convince anybody to do anything. (laughs) Um, But that's actually, um, you know, I don't think that's something that we have to do. I think it's already coming. I think there's lots of people in this field who want to do this. I think there are people who are up and comers who want to do this. And, you know, I'm not joking when I say that there's there's space for everybody in in research because I think it's important that there are people who we disagree with and that are people that uh, we don't see eye to eye on because actually that gives us something to react against and to react for or, or, you know, or to. And it gives us the space to actually explore ourselves. I love what you were saying, Anna, that this is something that has sort of changed you because this is part of that self-awareness thing. Research, like the most exciting thing about research (laughs) is that we get to come to work every day and say, I wonder, I wonder what this treatment will do. I wonder how treating this person will change the outcome. I wonder, uh, you know, should we use this new infographic and will it reach more people? And I, you can also ask, I wonder who I am. I wonder who I am in this space. And then you get to explore that as well. And that I think is like one of the greatest things about like this work, <laughs> and actually is what makes this work so meaningful. And when we actually stop to uh, ask ourselves who I am, what posture do I wanna take, what, what is meaningful to me, that's when all that uh, intrinsic motivation comes out. Then you start doing the work because you want to explore something. And if there's anything that I've learned about research is that once you find out what you wanna do, there are so many avenues to go down. Like it is so incredible. I am so excited about research. I've never really thought about research as like, you know, this exciting field. But research is this exciting field. And and just sort of to your point of like it's highly relational. It is highly relational. And that like that's that's where we get like all the next steps.
3: And I love what you
2: just said because you said, you no, know,
3: I love research. I never thought, you know, I could do this. I'm loving this. So, bridging back to to one of your previous comments about, you know, how do we integrate that in uh, in academics? I think it needs to actually. We need to talk about research from an early onset. I think it needs to even start at elementary, at high school, because it is about discovering the joy of working together and solving an issue because for too long it's been about research and here's they're gonna give us the you know the evidence and here's and we don't know and we can change and am I sh- should I be vaccinated or not and why? And so there's just so many questions and we never think about general you know health literacy and, and numeracy. So how do we from the get-go, from an early childhood, um are being involved in thinking through how we want to change things. And how our voice, whether we're in elementary, in high school, whether we're a, a patient before we're uh, whether we're a healthcare provider or growing up to become researchers, if we learn to um, have a voice and we learn to share what we think and to work together and to say that we together can make a difference um we it can happen and so i think it needs to be because it's it's weird you get through high school you get through college and sometimes university and you're being told that you need to be right you're being told that here's a science fact and here's you know and you can't do research if you're not a researcher and you need to be done this way and here are here are the rules and and then you're not suddenly you're being told oh no bring everyone on board, take your time, you need to find that space. So it's this, I mean, it's <laughs> it's hard. And we, we've seen it uh, with many patients, well, I don't know what to say. I've never been asked what I thought. I've never been, you know, asked to be part of this type of discussion. So we need to change the way we, we think about research and care early on. So when you're talking about, so, so yeah, so that's always my <laughs> my take on, we need to be more involved. Um, early on and in terms of integrating into medical school and graduate school, you know, this is my my two cents on, on this, but you know, when when we're having all of these add on and that, unfortunately, this is what we're seeing in, in most of the institutions. And, oh, by the way, here's this new thing called patient-oriented research and patient engagement. We're going to give you this one course about it. Uh, but the rest is going to stay the same way it's been for the past 15 or 20 years. So um, it, it needs to stop being an add-on and we need to start thinking about it in everyday course in every the every way that we're doing our classes the way we think the way that we engage with uh knowledge so how we bring the principles of patient engagement and patient-oriented research in all of our course, in all of the curriculum, so that it's not about doing patient-oriented research or not, but it's about engaging from the beginning into uh, finding ways to do the best research for those uh, for which the research matters. Um, and not only, I, you know, I always say that in the, in the best of worlds, you know, patient-oriented research doesn't even exist because it is the norm, it is the way that we're doing things. So we don't have to call it out and say, here's two, two credits or three credits, because it's been mm-hmm. embedded uh, into the way that we've been doing things for, for so long. But this is me being a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, not-
1: I I was gonna ask oh, you about, I was
0: gonna ask you about the education actually as the next step, because it's one of the things that has occurred to me um, is that, you know, certainly there's been struggles in, and I, and I think uh, to Yvonne's point, you, you know, we're getting better. It's it's less of a convincing that we have to do, that it is more, there are more folks, critical mass that wants to to do it. There are just, there's other barriers perhaps we have to take down for them, to that they feel these constraints. Like you said, it's one course, that they have all these other kind of courses that they need to take care of, it, and it becomes this very mechanical um mechanical thing and maybe it's touching back on some of what Yvonne said about creativity and collaboration Um, you know I see for example in some med schools they they teach improv to improve communication is it do we really do we need to go that outside the box to really encourage these kinds of skill building in 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 graduate and medical school Um, and also also trying to address ahead of time some of the barriers perhaps we can anticipate having gone through some of this some of this education these pathways ourselves so
2: i would argue actually it's not that outside the box collaborative mindsets are what we do every day so to teach it is not outside the box same with co-design mindsets or future thinking mindsets um these things to me are just regular, run-of-the-mill skills that we need in order to do this work.
3: But it's interesting because it's not necessarily taught in research at the graduate level. So those professional skills about, you know, negotiating, about collaboration, and, you know, Yvonne and I have been always thinking, if I could teach one thing, is listening. Um because it's what it is and now you've said it yourself we're prompting the next questions and want to have our our point across and we're already thinking about what we're going to say next not not taking that time to to listen um but those are taught in other curriculum you know um so so why not in the graduate studies why not in research to make sure that not only are we um uh, are we helping uh researchers and trainees become the best that they could in term of uh competencies of research competencies but also in terms of professional and human competencies you know and how do we grow human yeah uh, careful time and careful researchers
0: and i guess that's kind of what i was wondering was that are we because i i see a lot of great work and that we've all at this table have have done a lot of our colleagues in terms of pro- putting out, uh, you know, different rubrics and different uh, curricula to encourage what we feel would be a positive, meaningful patient engagement. And, but now listening to that and, and I agree with everything that both of you are saying, have we been going about it wrong in terms of training up until this point? Maybe, I mean, it's, I, you know, maybe that's more of myself <laughs> rather than yourselves because it sounds like you very much are, you know, advancing some of these perhaps what might come across as a as as novel in terms of an approach to to pedagogy to inpatient engagement have we been teaching the wrong things i guess you know that you know there's after a certain point you know we can we can teach people this is the steps of research but there seems to be a overly a focus, at least in my own experience on those pieces rather than teaching teaching us to sort of listen as a skill, like as a course or like as a as a webinar, right, as opposed to this is what at-test is
3: Well well, I guess, we've been focusing on on information sharing so so that information we have, it's important, um, but I think we might be giving it too much space. Um, and maybe as we go along, we need to focus on the relational a little bit more, which is which is harder, more difficult, but it it is being done. It's just finding ways to bring it. And I know some programs are doing, you know, really good job. And there's a lot of examples of programs that um, that that are bringing those those two to, together, um, and I know there's a lot of initiatives thinking this is where we need to go overall, regardless whether it is to patient patient research, but to bring more of, of those skills uh, forward. But it's hard, and that experiential learning is, is hard. How do you create those opportunities uh, to, to network and, and co-create within the context of a defined time and space, and particularly within a defined time and space of productivity? Because that's the other thing, also that um, I know it's it's there to me, and <laughs> we talk often that, uh, about this as well. Is that you know we do need t- time to take a step back and to look at what we're doing and how we're doing things because we know that in the long run, the change that we're aiming to produce is more meaningful and will be embedded. You know, most likely. I mean, I don't have all the evidence behind, but you know what what we're seeing is that this actually helps. Which um, bringing you know the best of care in practice, um, but it takes that to be to be that to to gain that uh, to to gain that um, to to gain this we need to spend time ahead you no know, prior to this. So I'm tenure. So whether I take you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, so whether it takes me three years to four years to finish a study, I've taken my time, we've engaged, you know, it's meaningful. The the work that we do is gonna be embedded, the practice is gonna remain there. So in the long run, we know that we made a difference. But for you no know, trainees or the investigators, which they're talking about how many papers, publications, grants do you have, but I think your productivity, this is counterintuitive. So how do we not only work, because we've been talking about training, but again, if we go back to that capacity, we also need to recognize as, as decision makers, as funders, as evaluator of the quality of the work, that impacts matter more than numbers. Um, and, and that's also a big change that is gonna be very helpful in thinking through that we, the way that we do, we engage patients in the way that we do this type of research. Um, and I think that that's actually at the heart of training um, because I don't know if you've experienced it and, you know, <laughs> I know you're in that space as well, but but it's hard because you want to do this work, but then you've got this pressure of, you know, faster, quicker right now. Um, so how do we counter that um, and how do we support that, you know, building that capacity and that training that takes for account, uh, impact and meaning. Um, so I don't know what your thought, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, around that because whether we like it or not, it is the reality in which we, we live in.
2: In terms of training that we've done to date and maybe particularly around patients, um, is part of it, with, especially with the knowledge transfer, is that what it's done is it's given us a really good safety net because we understand what patients are being told and by doing that what we what we get reflected back to us is the narrative that we want to hear and the problem with that is that we're really trying in you know maybe not intentionally but what we what we've done is we're controlling the narrative and the problem with control is that it is the enemy of connection and in order to for us to truly connect we need to bust that wide open so if we want to look at training and capacity building we really need a new way of doing it so that we can connect
1: i found this really really interesting and it's been stuff that i've been reflecting on myself as an early career researcher And for what it's worth, something that I have found has been very helpful, and it's been as a result of really engaging with patients and caregivers, is that in my experience, most patients and caregivers are super happy, they're proud of you, you got your manuscript, like hooray for you. But then they push you beyond that, because a lot of them, like they enjoy the thinking and the design aspect but what they want to see is change and they want to see change that will be long-standing and also meaningful to people's lives so yes maybe sometimes engagement it does stretch out your timelines but if you think about it right if you engage the right people from the very beginning about designing your study and how you're approaching things What you maybe are taking up more time with, what you get at the end is something that, again, I haven't evaluated it, Annie, but either, but from my own personal experience, the output is more likely to be something that is long lasting, that is meaningful, and it does make a difference to people's lives. So I think too, like you said, if we start to look at potential impact and actual impacts and weigh that a bit further, further or more then i think that will also encourage people and i'm sure that a researcher that partners and they see that for themselves too they won't go back to doing things the other way
3: you you can't i mean as a as a researcher um and this is my 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 personal experience i mean um we uh we conducted this five-year study at Mayo, um, looking at trying to, to engage patients and clinicians across primary care practice in Canada. We've struggled. Uh, we struggled with diabetes. It's supposed to be, you know, there's patients everywhere. It was really difficult to to engage with them. And we resulted with, uh, we, we, we aimed for 600 patients and we, we had less than 200 in five-year study. It was really, really hard. And then came in the the same approach, the same type of work that we wanted to do in depression, and it was like okay, we can't we can do this the same way that we were and it was at the beginning, it was like in twenty ten um so really kind of that that beginning of engaging patients and we had this diabetes patient advisory group, and we stopped meeting with them, and then we we met with Patients with lived experience, which we called focus group back in the days, you know, and, and that's what it was. But we start engaging with them and telling us, okay, you need to tell us what you want and what's meaning. And It changed the way we did research. So, you know, I keep saying that it takes time because it, the, the engagement piece takes time. But once you build built an engagement piece, the work itself is so meaningful. So we went for the same time of study that took five years, couldn't recruit anyone. We work with patients with severe depression, which is hard to recruit, you know, and it's hard to engage and it's hard. And we recruited over 300 patients in, you know, in a little over a year Um, and we had all the retention and we had full impact and you know this is one of our favorite paper and work and the intervention that we designed is now embedded across so many healthcare organizations because those patients help us you know think through the way that we were doing things you know if we talk about depression it's not not going to mean anything to me you need to talk about the way that I feel about whatever so they really helped us shape you know the way that we were thinking about um, recruitment the way that we were thinking in terms of our intervention the way that we were looking at the Service and so on and so forth and you know we're not we're in context of training, not of research, but I I do want to point out that the, the value of what they can bring is, you know, is so many, so it took longer from that engagement perspective, but once we got into conducting this study, we gained so many years and so much more impact from there. So I think that this is and this is where people might might see the hurdle from a, a researcher perspective is that notion of we keep telling people that it takes time, but when you build those meaningful relationships, then the work the work is worth it. And once you have those relationships, you just keep going. Um so so it's such a small investment for everything that it has to offer. Um but yeah, so I just wanted to <laughs> no, it's that's great about how it takes time, but the reality is the difference it, has that to. it makes. I mean, it's, it's just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it has to, but I mean, it's so vital, and relationships don't operate on a schedule. They, you know, they have to take the time that you have to like, give them the space to to breathe and to really develop. And no, it's an excellent point, Annie, and I, I guess to kind of you know. Moving you know thinking ahead, moving forward, you know how does one then and this may be- partic- particularly challenging, given some of the things we've talked about today, but how does one or what what would be one action from each of you that we could do moving forward to encourage a more positive, more meaningful capacity building or training in patient engagement
2: well for me, always it's um take take time like take your time and actually just stop what you're doing um take 10 minutes every day and write down who you are, why you're here, and how your actions today have either furthered you towards that or have pulled you away from it. And if you did that every day for 10 minutes, I bet what you do in patient-oriented research would change. And if you're doing that and everybody else is doing that, then we will all change. I
3: was gonna say, there's almost nothing to to add to this, but more from a pragmatic uh, perspective, um, again, I think it's it's depending on what you want to focus on. So, like we said, information is important. And um, I now you were talking at the beginning about having a repository and one-time shop place. So hopefully um the national training entity is, is is that place where working with all of the different people and that have done phenomenal work over the years, we can centralize all of that information so that you can find what, you know, the, the 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 right activity, the right learning activity, whether it's a seminar or a training or all that works for you. So I think in terms of that, there's still the importance of that learning piece. And that learning piece then needs to be follow up with different opportunities. And this is where we need to think through as to what those different, the how, as Ivan was saying. So so maybe it's less about training, but more about an onboarding. You know, this onboarding process where you can't tell people to go from A to Z right away. So it needs to be about raising awareness. It needs to be about finding ways that uh, to 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 have that meaningful engagement is thinking through activities with your group in terms of do we have that space uh, who do we need to connect with how do we have conversations over a period of time so it's more in those different type of activities and maybe we um and this is one of the projects that Yvonne is working is leading with us, is this, this onboarding what does it mean to for everyone to onboard uh, in, in patient-oriented research. And what it means is, is sometimes it's that reflection, sometimes it's information, sometimes it's tool and resources to help you through some elements. Sometimes it's finding ways for researchers to, to change the way that you're doing your research, because it's one thing to have patient involved, it's another thing to change your study design, but you not know, supporting them in doing so, supporting people to have conversations. Um, supporting them physically. Do, do our patient partners have computer, Wi-Fi, you know, different access? So, uh, again, I think there's ways that we can think together uh, about those different cues and then for each of those cues, helping and supporting. Um, as for, for pasta like I said, we've got this, these trainings, but working also with those groups in, in meeting both, well, not both, but patient trainees and, and researchers where they are at and making sure that which all of those different resources that we have, finding the the right one for that that right person. Um but that experiential so I'm going back to Yvonne, creating those experiential learnings are difficult, it's hard, particularly you know, post post COVID, people are still trying to to bring that. So I would love to be able to think through how do we do this? You know, is it more online meeting where we create those communities of practice, or is it more at a smaller level in practice? Um, I'd love to eventually to hear what people thought because we don't have that much of evidence in terms of what works, what doesn't, and where we should be heading. Uh, I know we want to try to find out. I think that you know. The best thing to the best way to find is to try and to to see what what feels uh like working because not everything works for everyone. So it's yeah, finding that right match. I think
0: that's actually, you know, a great place to to can sort of um move forward with our next steps. And um, you know, I think if the opportunity is there, uh, to take a page out of both your book, Annie, and yours, Yvonne, that I mean, certainly, I've learned so much, and I know Anna has today as well. That we can perhaps continue to learn together with both your both yourself and uh, Yvonne, uh, you know, moving forward to build that relationship and to and to start figuring some of this out. Because I think it is vital that we move from an instrumental to more of an experiential um, capacity development for patient engagement. That's almost the next uh, the next step iteration of it. So. I really appreciate, and on behalf of Anna as well, um, your time, both of you today, for joining us on on our podcast and for sharing your thoughts. And I know for folks who are interested and who listen, uh, we have the the full transcript on our substack. We also have uh, resources that our our guests generously share with us. So be sure to check it out on our substack. Um, we also have... Um, the audio recordings on Spotify and on Apple. And we have this on YouTube with some closed captioning as well. So whichever, um, whichever way you'd like to take in, take in this wonderful knowledge that's been shared with us today, you know, there's a few avenues for you. And if you have any questions about anything you've heard today or in previous episodes, you can contact Anna, uh, anna Anna.asperusual at gmail.com. And myself is Bryn.asperusual at gmail.com. So Again, thank you both very much, Yvonne and Annie, for joining us today and sharing your expertise and let's all keep moving forward together to build that world of wonder and uh, make patient engagement and research the standard or as per usual. So thanks very much.